0: Hey, bosses. This week's sponsor is Athletic Brewing Co. Use coupon code BOSS20 to save 20% off non alcoholic craft beer. I'll tell you more about them during the break.
1: Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD.
0: Hey, bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 264 of the Travel Lugger Boss podcast. I'm with one of the original travel bosses out there, Tim LaFell. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited.
0: So the first time I heard about you was when I read the 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss back in 2007, and he had recommended you book The World's Cheapest Destinations. That must have been a huge spike of readers for you, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was it was weird when his first edition came out. I I interviewed him because he was out pitching people, you know, just to try to get some eyeballs on his book because back then nobody knew who he was and uh he knew about my Cheapest Destinations blog somehow. Um I guess cuz back then there weren't that many um budget travel blogs around like there are now and he got in touch and we did an interview and chatted and then later I did a guest post on his uh blog which brought a flood of traffic and yeah man he's just gotten bigger and bigger every year since then and um i'm a big admirer of his work but i don't know if he'd take my calls anymore well i don't know i've tried <laughs> i don't know you know what he, he's i mean both of you are the uh kind of the original bosses
0: of the the, the travel world so i'm sure if he ran into you at a cocktail party he'd wherever you
1: maybe yeah it's funny i started that original blog uh back in 2002 and um Man, I've had a lot of crap to clean up the last few years going back and getting rid of some of those old posts because it was a different world. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely
0: a different world. And I remember when I read that book, I mean, it was kind of it was kind of the first time I had even heard about a lot of these countries, you know, places in South America or places where you can, you know, really kind of just live very well for very little money. And I think my favorite section of of the book I think it was at the end of each chapter or
1: something. It was like, what, what can you get for a dollar in each place? Yeah, I still do that. The book's on its fifth edition now, but that was really popular and it was just kind of a funny thing. I stuck at the end, like, what can you get for a buck or less? Uh, because um, sometimes it's an amazing list, you know? And so, um, But yeah, I wrote that book originally because I wished there had been something like that when I was out backpacking. I circled the globe three times and um, this was before you could find everything you need to know on the internet. And uh, there was no real guide that compared prices between countries. You know, there were guidebooks for Mm -hmm. like Southeast Asia on a shoestring or whatever, but they didn't tell you like, here's the absolute cheapest place and here's the most expensive. And so I was just trying to give a side-by-side can I overview? Quick overview of places to visit.
0: Yeah, I, I loved it, and I, honestly, even today, there's a ton of information online. If anything, there's too much information, and everybody puts themselves out there like they're an expert now, like a like a travel expert. And I remember getting to this Twitter feud with someone a few days ago, where they said that they hated Chiang Mai, and no, I I think had I had responded to someone saying, you know, my favorite place to live as an expat is Chiang Mai. And they wrote back saying, oh, I hated that place. It's terrible. And I asked
1: how many you know Sorry. right. <laughs> There's a phone ring. That sounds like a proper landline as well. It's, uh, my, I'm, I'm staying at my mother-in-law's place right now. And she still oh, has cool. a landline with like a wall-mounted phone that's in this uh, office area. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Does it have a rotary dial on it as well? (laughs) No, it doesn't have that,
0: but it's still, it's pretty old school. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I really haven't heard that tone in so long. I I know every time I check into a hotel or something, they have a phone there. First, I'm thinking like, why do they have it? You know, I guess besides just to call reception. And second, I normally just unplug it.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's kind of a relic. And um, whoever uses those hotel phones besides calling room service, I don't know.
0: Yeah, so it's 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 hilarious. But what I was gonna say is, uh, I this guy, you know, I asked, you know, how many how many days did you spend, or how many weeks did you spend in Chiang Mai, and he said uh, like three days or five days, or something. And I was like, come on, like you can't judge a place how how good it's gonna be as an expat in less than a week. You know, you have to really get to know know the 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 country. And I said, look, like Chiang Mai isn't somewhere I would recommend to someone flying all the way from the U.S uh as the best place in thailand you know you should go to a beach you know if you're coming from some cold city in the middle of nowhere you want to go to some tropical island that is heaven but after one month of being on a tropical island and getting sand everywhere and not really having any infrastructure that's when you want to go to a place like chiang mai and and you know have some kind of more creature comforts but still be out you know close to nature and close to culture
1: yeah if you want to eat something besides uh rice and vegetables and shrimp, you know, like, uh, also you've got more choices and good coffee and all those kinds of things. But yeah, the one that drives me crazy is these people that write blog posts, like the definitive guide to Thailand, and they only spend a week in the country. It's like, come on. Yeah. Or also, you know, people who have never been to, uh,
0: like other countries where they've only, let's say they've only been to Bali. That was their first trip. And they're like, Bali is the best country in
1: the world. I'm like, how do you know, yeah. you know, yeah. where else have you been? Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd already circled the globe three times when I wrote that book. And so um, and, and actually some of those places in there I've been back to. But when I hadn't been there, I tried to interview people that had. And that's what I've tried to do with all of my books really is try to get some other opinions in there besides my own and some other experiences. Because yeah, it's all subjective when you're a traveler. Some places I've hated other people have loved. Yeah, I could definitely see
0: that. And some places, you know, you hate for a certain reason, but then, you know, other people like it for a reason. Like, for example, every single blog or every travel guide I've ever read and every person I've even spoke to said that they hated Colombo and there's no reason to go there in Sri Lanka. So I avoided Colombo uh, and also Elia. I think that was another place people said, like, there's no reason to go there. And... I-
1: yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to um, unplug this phone. <laughs> That's normally when I just end up pulling out of the out of the wall. It just completely disconnected um, when I unplugged the phone and I was like, wait, these can't be related. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's all right. No worries. So everybody told me not to go to Colombo and also Norealia was a place to, to, to skip. Um, actually, have you been to Sri Lanka, Tim? I've not. I've been to Southern India, but I didn't make it that far. So... Here, in the capital city is Colombo, and pretty much everyone I ever talked to said, "Just skip it. There's nothing to do there, nothing to see there." And there's a mountain town, kind of a, a cold you know, uh, tea estate region that's kind of known as Little England, uh, called Norielia. and everybody said, "Yeah, don't go there. It's, you know, it's a waste of time." And after about six months of being in the country and just being by hot beaches and you know being you know by beautiful beaches. I just decided, hey, you know what? Let me, um, instead of leaving the country, uh, especially because last year was travel lockdowns, why don't I just change the pace and go to this big city that everybody hates? And I loved it. I loved being in a big city again with nice restaurants and malls. And then when I went to Noriega and it was cold, it was, you know, uh, instead of being, you know, plus, 35 celsius or like you know 90 degrees it was freezing it was like being in winter and i was like oh i love this this is like a change of pace (laughs) and i realized you know for someone coming for you know three weeks or a month they want to be by the beach they don't you know if someone's coming from the cold uk they don't want to go to you know the cold ne you know like or they're coming from a big busy city like new york or or, uh los angeles they don't want to go to a big city like colombo but once you've had a few months by the beach, you kind of like that change of pace,
1: yeah, for sure. And you get you know better restaurants, nightlife, all those kinds of things, and you can go shopping for what you need. Whereas when you're in a beach community, uh, you have to make do with what you've got if something breaks,
0: yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, I think you know your style of traveling and, and my style of traveling and, and your books know cheapest destinations but and also a better life for half the price it really is geared more towards either an expat or someone who wants to live somewhere long term or at least someone who wants to travel very slowly and stay for you know three or six months it doesn't really apply as much to someone who you know just wants to go somewhere on a package tour you know or a week or two
1: yeah i'm a big fan of slow travel slow travel for a whole lot of reasons and one of them is budgetary. I mean, you just end up spending a lot less if you're not getting in a train or a bus or a plane every few days. And so that's part of it. But also when you get to know a place better, you really see what makes it tick and you actually have some time to talk to people and you find out where the best bakery is or the best coffee shop or whatever. And I just feel like it's a much better experience all around than when everything's a blur and you're just zipping from place to place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and what I like about your books is you're probably one of the very few people that ha you know, uh that has a, a book or a blog that has actually been to, you know, most of these countries or all these countries. And even though you, you are an expert in it, you don't have a big ego of saying, you know whatever you think is, is correct. You know, I like that you interview other expats and other travelers about each destination.
1: Yeah, well thanks. And um yeah, I've got a post on my blog somewhere about uh, how many countries have you been to? Uh, nobody cares. Like, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's such a braggy point for some people, you know, but it's like, well, all that says is you got enough money, or you found a way to, you know, bop to all these different places, like, you know, a privileged person, but it doesn't mean you're better. I mean, I could have been to 20 more countries than I've been to, but I chose to go back to Peru four times. I chose to spend my time in Mexico living there, you know, and I have never been to El Salvador or Paraguay, but I don't think it matters, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know, it's just a silly, uh, you know, my thing is bigger than your thing sort of uh, talking point, but it just doesn't really mean anything, I don't think, in the big scheme of things. Yeah, if anything, sometimes
0: it means less, you know, it's, it, it almost kind of shows the exact opposite, where if someone never goes back to the same country, just because they want to go somewhere new, you know, on one hand, it's exciting to to see a new place, but there's a, I think there's a lot of benefit of going back to countries that you like to get, you know, to get to know it better, to dive in deeper, to see how it changes, to revisit some of the places that you've been before, or just kind of get to that next level, you know, like, for example, you know, people, some people will go to Bali all the time, and maybe they choose to go back to Bali every year, just because they, they like it or they're, it's, you know, where their friends are. But a lot of people never take that next level and say, well, okay, now that I'm in Bali, where else can I go? You know, maybe I'll go to the Komodo islands and it's incredible there. It's so amazing there. It's, you know, if in in many ways, it's 10 times better than, than Bali. It's more beautiful. It's more natural, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's one of those things that most people just never do because they just kind of get comfortable doing their own thing. And they just want to be where, I don't know, like where, where it's the, 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 the cool place to be, I guess, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much to do and see in Indonesia beyond that island and, and it's a much better experience in many cases because you're not sharing it with, you know, tens of thousands of people on vacation. And So bosses, real quick, I want to tell you
0: more about this week's sponsor, Athletic Brewing Co. If you love beer as much as I do, but you can't always drink it for alcoholic reasons or for fitness reasons like for me, this is why Athletic Brewing Co. is awesome. They make real craft beer. I'm talking about tasty, delicious, award-winning craft beer. That's non-alcoholic. So you can check them out. Check out all the award-winning flavors at athleticbrewing.com. You can use coupon code BOSS20 to save 20% off any six-pack or any order and you actually get free shipping. Since it's non-alcoholic, you can get it shipped right to your door. You can also find it in stores. So you can check out athleticbrewing.com for a store finder, but just to kind of give you an idea of some of the tasty beers. They have Run Wild IPA, Upside Down Golden Ale. You can even get a subscription box for from just $24.99 per month. That gives you a nice sampler. And you can check out the World Beer Awards winner. This one is the all-out stout, and I'm a big fan of extra dark stouts, so check them out. They look cool, beautiful packaging, and I'm excited for you to try some of this Athletic Brewing Co.'s non-alcoholic brews. Use coupon code BOSS20 at checkout. Hope you enjoy it.
1: I mean, you look at an island like Sulawesi, that's a big island. There's a lot to do there, you know, or Sumatra is huge. And hardly anybody goes to those places, you know, a few people, but it's nothing like the kind of crowds you get on Bali. And even in a little country like Costa Rica, there's so much variety it's packed into that area, you know, that there's so much you could see and do. And so I've been back there a few times and it's all different places. And I brought up Peru because there's, so much to do beyond Machu Picchu that most people never get to you know they never go beyond Cusco and the Sacred Valley but you know you've got the Colca Canyon you've got that Amazonas region up north you've got the actual Amazon River you know I mean Arequipa there's so many cool places to visit in Peru but uh most people never go beyond that typical tourist trail
0: yeah and it's sad when people go somewhere and just check off the top you know three or five or even ten things to see or do go there take a photo of it and say that they've been there maybe they'll go and you know write a blog post about it or make an instagram post about it make a youtube video and say okay i did you know xyz country it's like and if they're gone (laughs) in 10 days or two weeks it's like they really didn't see it and i i feel bad for them you know because they're just moving on and saying okay you know country number 92 you know i'm
1: almost at 100 then and like, it's, you know, then, it's then crazy what? when it's a big country <laughs> it's crazy too when it's a place like mexico or the us or canada it's like geographically you know they're massive like you can't just say you've been there if you've been to one place <laughs> yeah i mean it, even like you know slightly s- smaller countries like like italy
0: for example you know, you could spend a week and just go all, all the way up and down Italy and say like, oh, yeah, I've been to like Milan, I went to Venice, I went to Rome, went to Pisa, you know, I went down to the south. Okay, I've done Italy. But for me, Italy is one of those places where I feel like every region is so different. The food is so different. Even the culture is different. And I'm happy to go to Italy every summer for the rest of my life and just explore a different region every single time. And I think I'll never get bored of it.
1: Yeah, I was gonna go there Uh, last year. TBEX, was the bloggers' conference was gonna be in Sicily, and I had plans to go before. You know, Italy was like the first place the pandemic really broke out in Europe, and they canceled everything. But I was gonna go down to the boot area, that area around Bari and uh, Puglia, I guess it is, and uh, because yeah, I don't feel like I really need to go to Florence and Venice and Rome so much um, as I'd like to see the real Italy, you know, and I might get to those other places, but I wanted to just explore a bit and see uh, some places slowly again that you wouldn't uh, necessarily go to on your first trip with a bunch of other tourists.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. So what, what I was trying to allude to you, uh, before about your book that I really like is because you've actually been to some, you know some of these countries, it's a very kind of uh, formidable guide, or hard to find, you know, piece of writing where you can actually compare, you know, apples to apples and, you know, uh, by someone who's who knows what they're talking about, and has actually been to these countries. And I think that's, that's almost impossible to find. I mean, I've been traveling now for 12 years. And, you know, I feel like I know the places I've been to very well, but you've been doing this for even longer, much longer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it helps to have some age under your belt (laughs) to to get some experience to go to so many places. But yeah, I've been to every country in the world's cheapest destinations, and I think there's twenty some in there. And I've been. I've been to all of them in A Better Life for Half the Price, except for Georgia. That was on my 2020 travel list too, that I never made it to, but I'm hoping I can get there when things get back to normal. But I I did interview about 80 people for A Better Life for Half the Price. So I talked to expats living in all these countries. So I tried to get the lowdown um, where I didn't have the expertise. I could get it from someone else. And then I live in Mexico and spend a lot of time in Latin America. So I, I have that down pretty well, but not all, not every place. <laughs> yeah. But so what is kind of like your backstory? When did you start traveling and living abroad? So I uh, graduated college with a music business degree and I actually went to work for RCA Records and I worked for them in Nashville and New York. So I had a corporate job for seven years before I ever set foot outside of the country, except a except for um, a trip to Canada and I went to Jamaica on vacation, but, you know, just basic stuff. And then when I got, I eventually got fired from that job, which was, um, it ended up being a great experience. I mean, it was a good thing that happened to me because it was mostly because my boss and I hated each other and we didn't see eye to eye on a single thing. And um, it was kind of like this big weight off my shoulders when I left there because my wife, had been talking about going traveling. My now wife, she was my girlfriend then had been talking about going traveling. And I was like, yeah, all right. But you know, I got this job, I got this car, I got this condo, you know, you have all these things that tie you down. Well, I got fired from my job. And then like maybe two months later, her company went out of business and she worked in the music business too. She worked for another record label and it went out of business. And we're like, well, if we were waiting for a sign from above, I think we just (laughs) got it. (laughs) So, uh, we sort of unwound our possessions, you know, and put some things in storage and, uh, worked it all out. And then we just took off backpacking around the world. And and that first trip was a year long and we went through Southeast Asia. We, uh, we taught English in Turkey for a while, actually Greece and a little bit of time in Europe, India and Nepal. So that sort of like whetted our appetite, you know, and we got back and all our relatives were like, Oh, what a great experience of a lifetime. And we said, No, we're going again, <laughs> we just wow. need to save up some, we just need to save up some money. And so we saved up some money It took off again. And we went for uh, two years the next time. But half of that was teaching English in Korea. So that definitely more than replenished our funds. We saved a lot there. And, um, and then we went back out again. So yeah, we yeah. Uh, did a lot of trips and hit different areas. And, and what I, year was that, that, that first trip? So this, this was all mid to late nineties. And um, so I think I started in 90, 93 or 94. And um, yeah. And I had a, I'd started to work to do some travel writing then too, like just, um, you know, writing for a magazine and I, had this gig reviewing hotels for a trade publication for travel agents. And so I actually reviewed hotels up and down India and all through Turkey and Korea and all these places while I was there, Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. I did all of those. So um, that was a great experience and put some more money in my bank account. And it was funny. We would uh, be on a backpacker budget and then all of a sudden, I'd get hosted at some nice hotel. So we had these backpacks you would zip up and turn into a suitcase. And so oh, wow. we, we would roll up in our one nice outfit at the ah, fancy hotel. swanky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, that's so, uh, that's what I've been traveling with
0: now for the last years. Uh, I I don't like rolling, uh, rolling luggage. It just... It's too inconvenient, you know. There's a, there's a lot of countries I go to where you know you're not just going from airport to taxi to hotel. You know, I'm going through the streets or onto a train or on a bus. Or sometimes on a on, on a small boat uh, t- to take a ferry somewhere, and you kind of just need a backpack, you know. And a lot of places in Eastern Europe I stay at I stay in don't have elevators, so you get, it's hard to carry rolling luggage up, you know, four or five flights of stairs sometimes. So, for sure. Um, so a backpack has always just been more useful. But and then I would once in a while, you know, probably once a month or so, I, I like to stay in some, some like nice spaces. And when I show up in a, in a backpack, uh, and you know, for anyone who's trying to imagine it, if, if you haven't been traveling uh, with backpackers, I mean, it's literally like a hiking backpack. It's usually kind of dirty and grimy by then. It just feels so out of place. So. I started traveling with this 65 liter um, duffel bag that can be a backpack, but can also just be a duffel bag. So I just show up and
1: wherever I am. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, that probably looks better. Yeah, we had one where it would like zip up and cover up the straps, you know, <laughs> it basically look more presentable. But uh, yeah, I agree with your sentiment. Totally. I, I actually did a post one time said why you don't backpack with a wheelie suitcase, because um where even where I live in Guanajuato, it's mostly pedestrian streets. And they're really hilly, you know, like long flights of steps to get to your hotel sometimes. And I see these people struggling with some overstuffed suitcase, you know, that they figured they would just wheel around, but then they can't wheel it around and they've got to actually carry it and they're screwed. (laughs) So uh, yeah, backpack's still very handy for a lot of places. And a lot of times your hotel will be like at the end of a dirt road or something, you know, so, uh, or, or you got to walk down the beach to get to it. You know, backpack can be very handy, even if it's just something like you're talking about a duffel with straps on it that you can throw on your back. Yeah, absolutely. And and for anyone
0: who's, you know, listening is thinking, well, I don't stay at those type of places. I mean, here's the thing is there's a trade off, you know, I, I could choose to only go to countries and, and stay in places where you can you know have a valet and and take you up to your room with the bellhop, you know, on a, on a 20 floor elevator. But I feel like we miss a lot of very authentic experiences. If we only stay in places like that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And they're they're usually not in the greatest location, at least in terms of places where budget travelers go. You know, those are like the city hotels that business or they're the fancy resorts that people on a one-week vacation stay in. So um, I'm thinking of Thailand, for instance, back to there. Like, there's a lot of really good mid-range hotels in Thailand that are, you know, 30 bucks a night that have elevators and pools and whatever. But they're usually kind of on the outskirts somewhere, you know. They're not right in the middle of the action to be... <laughs> So I have a question, Tim. If if you woke
0: up, you know, tomorrow and you had $10 million in the bank, would you start just staying in, in you know, these five-star hotels all the time? Or what would you do differently?
1: No, I would probably stay in the ends with character. You know, some of those are more money, but they still got some character to them. I've actually reviewed over a thousand hotels and I've stayed in some really nice places, but they're kind of isolating a lot of times i mean some of them are fantastic and beautiful and i would definitely go back but you don't always meet the most interesting people at those places either because they're hedge fund managers or corporate attorneys or whatever they're just not the kind of people i would hang out with even if i had all the money in the world so um yeah i don't know um i've stayed at some um places that I would go back to because they're in a fabulous location. You know, they have incredible views of snow capped mountains or they're in a game park or something like that. And that's something that's worth paying for, I think. But other times they're just uh sort of like pretentious and have a fancy lobby and that's what you're paying for. So I would find like the Relay and Chateau kind of places where you can stay in some beautiful country in and be ride some horses around and go hiking <laughs> yeah or maybe the
0: grand budapest hotel
1: yeah yeah i love that movie i feel like i need to see it again it's been a few years but wes anderson stuff but that one especially Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, I've always liked staying in kind of more
0: budget friendly places, especially for what you just said about meeting interesting people. You know, this is why one of my favorite travel hacks if I'm traveling alone is to stay in hostels that have private rooms. And that way I can still have, you know, good night's sleep. I don't have to worry about people snoring or me snoring and waking up other people, but I can still have the common areas and the budget friendly crowd who is usually longer term
1: travelers who have actually you know
0: or just have more character
1: yeah and there's a bit of advice in there um if you go to these cheap cheaper countries the ones i've outlined in the world's cheapest destinations you can always have a private room (laughs) and i think that's a big advantage you know like if you're going to uh paris or london or amsterdam you're if you're on a budget you're probably going to be in a hostel with you know 12 other people in your room or something. But if you go to Southeast Asia or even Hungary or Bosnia or somewhere like that, you can always get a reasonably priced hotel with your own bathroom and not have to worry about it. Yeah, I remember in Amsterdam I paid,
0: I think it was like 50 euros a night to share a room with seven people.
1: And it was oh, it was man. like the
0: best deal I could find. It was something insane.
1: Yeah, I had an experience like that too. When when we first traveled around the world, I think it was Amsterdam, where we paid what seemed like at the time an insane amount of money to share a hostel, and we were thinking, "Oh my god!" Like when we were in India, we were in a palace for this amount of money. Yeah,
0: and it's crazy. And and I really don't think that going to these uber popular places like you know Paris or Amsterdam or oh, I don't know what else is on the list, but. To me, I think they're just overpriced because they are overtouristed, because they had the name they and everybody's flocking there.
1: Yeah. And I, I think if you just look at pure economics, uh, if you go to a place like New York City, the rent's really high, you know, the real estate's really expensive, and the cost of labor is really expensive. So, you know, a hostel that's charging you forty or fifty dollars a night might not even be making that much money. It's just the expenses are so much higher, and that's what the market will bear. Whereas if you go to some cheaper country where labor is $2 an hour and real estate's a bargain, then they can charge you a whole lot less and still make money and support their family. So it's not like you're taking advantage of anyone. It's just the the rates are lower because that's what the market is. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So out of all these countries you visited and written about, why did you choose Mexico to base yourself out of? Well, part of it was just convenience. Honestly, Um, my mom's still alive. My wife's mom's still alive. And we wanted to be able to get back and see our family now and then. And there's also the time zone factor. You know, if you're American or Canadian and you stay in Latin America, you can be on a similar time zone. So if you're doing business, that makes things easier. But honestly, we looked at Nicaragua, we looked at Argentina and some other places, um, but it was really just a matter of how easy it was to get home and what the flight prices were like, you know, because if you travel to Mexico from the United States, it's basically like getting a flight to Seattle or something from the East Coast, you know, it's not expensive at all. And we just flew back from Central Mexico to Florida for 216 dollars in business class we actually got because there's such a travel slump right now we got one-way business class tickets for uh 216 bucks so we got to sit in the front of the plane and have some more distance and be the last ones on first ones off so that was yeah that's, that's always but comfortable I did, uh- but I do like the culture and the food and the, the there's so much geographic variety in Mexico. And um, I've been to, I don't know, 20 states maybe, and there's still a whole lot I haven't seen. So it's, I'm not going to sort of use up the country. You know, there's still going to be things to do and places to check out. And so that's an advantage as well. So are
0: you saying that there is more to Mexico than just Tulum?
1: <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. And you could find other places to pose in front of. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's going to be my base forever. I mean, I'm not, I had planned to go live two months here, three months there this past year, and all of us got grounded, but going to try to pick that up again and we can move around freely and maybe, you know, explore more of Europe and Asia, you know, still be able to come back to my home in Mexico.
0: Yeah. I think uh, especially as we get older, it's nice to have some kind of home. And I used to think I wanted that home to be the U S but Now I realize there is zero chance I want to have, I want to buy property or settle in the U S anywhere, you know, anytime soon at least. So I think if I was going to have a home base, it would definitely be outside of the country.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, we get indoctrinated in this idea that you have to buy a home. You know, as an American, you've been you've kind of had this drilled into your head because for generations, that was a surefire way to sort of secure your future. You know, if you bought a house, eventually the price is going to go up over over time if you want to it. But there's a lot of costs of ownership that, that they gloss over, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the maintenance and the taxes and the insurance and all of that. So in a lot of cases, you're just better off renting. You know, maybe your whole life, you're better off renting. But you know, if you do buy a home somewhere, maybe you should look outside your home country because you can get a whole lot more for that money and it's a and there's just a lot less downside. I mean, the housing market in the US and Canada is sane right now. It's outrageous like bidding yeah. bidding wars and people are paying more than the asking price. It's really hard to justify that value. I've yeah. owned a few homes, I've done it, but I wouldn't do it right now. Yeah, and it's I think the only reason why
0: like, you know financially someone would even buy a place is They're afraid that, you know, the rent's going to keep going up and they might be right for certain locations. So if someone, you know, really likes this one city, whether it's in the U.S. or somewhere else, and they only want to go back to that one city for the rest of their life, and they're afraid that the the rents go up, they're not going to be able to afford it. Yeah, then maybe they can buy a place if it makes sense. But for me, I realized, you know, after all these years of travel that there's always a new place popping up that five years ago wasn't on the radar. And it could have been somewhere I wouldn't have wanted to visit five years ago because of political instability or lack of infrastructure or whatever it is. But, you know, five years from today, it's going to be amazing and it's going to be cheap.
1: Yeah. I think that the next I, you're, you can already see that the next hotspot is going to be Tbilisi, Georgia. And after that, it could be somewhere like Tirana, Albania, that nobody's heard of, you know, and five years from now, it becomes the hot place to be, <laughs> you know, it's always changing. And, um, even like I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I first moved there, there was nothing hot about it except the summer weather. But now it's like, you know, it's exploded. And same with Austin and Portland and wherever, you know, those weren't hot places 20 years <laughs> ago, but they sure are now. So yeah, yeah been, I actually have a I have, changing.
0: a, I have a friend who grew up in Nashville. And, and he was telling me that when he, when he was in high school, there was, there was no restaurants in the whole city. And now it's
1: just filled with them. Yeah, there was... When I first moved there, there was absolutely no culinary scene, and there was not even any vegetarian restaurants. Like I wasn't one, but I had friends who were, and they were like, Oh my god, there's nowhere to go eat. It's all barbecue and like southern food. Yeah, which I love, but yeah. Yeah. But um Yeah, and you know, there's some converging forces here that are making it a renter's world. Um, First of all, we've got all these people that are newly remote that didn't used to be, you know, that's one silver lining that's come out of this pandemic. Companies have realized, oh my God, people can work remotely and their, their quality of work doesn't go down. It actually can get better. They can get more done. And then also you've got Um, uh, companies like Airbnb that didn't exist before and so much easier to find a place to live now short term. There's also uh, housing anywhere in Europe and there's some others like that, that basically specialize in furnished apartments that you rent for a month or two. So, um, yeah, they're a little more than if you get boots on the ground and start looking around, but there it's easy and convenient for you to just like go on your computer right now and see what it's going to cost you to move to Chiang Mai or anywhere else. Um, you might find a better deal when you get there, but that at least give you a general idea. And it's so easy now you can do it from the desktop, you know, Yeah. <laughs> your phone if you want. So when I first started traveling in 2007, 2008,
0: I remember there was, you know, no smartphones. Uh, it was, I, I don't even know, I guess I'm assuming there were laptops, but they, they weren't popular. Like I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have, there was no iPads or anything like that. So I would go and, I think I would even go to like internet cafes, like if I needed to get some re- information. So I will travel, I would have my Lonely Planet book and it was very, very analog. I just remember just life wasn't easy to, to get around, to book things. I mean, you would basically just show up at a place and just have to walk around and find accommodation. Yeah, you never booked anything in advance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And, Except and, a plane ticket. Yeah, and that, and I mean, do you ever miss those those days at all? Yeah, sometimes. And I I still travel like that every once in a while. Like the last time I went to Nicaragua, I didn't book anything after the first night. I just started showing up places and looking around because I just wanted to see if you could still do that and get a better deal. And I I found a room one night for six bucks, um, my own bathroom, air conditioned. I was like, hell yeah, you can still do this. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, um, there's a certain freedom in that, you know, of not having plans ahead of time. Because if you want to, you know, change your plans you can because you don't have any reservations um you can just show up at the bus station and grab a bus so in some ways yeah i i miss the um the camaraderie and the recommendations from other travelers, you know, people would go, Oh man, you got to go to this place and stay at this hotel. It's like 12 bucks a night and beautiful. And, uh, you know, there's hammocks all around you've got these fantastic views. And so that's how you'd hear about a place and you go, okay, I'll check it out. And you'd go there. Now you're just like scrolling through booking.com trying to figure out which place is good or not. Yeah. So, I mean, what I liked about the in person
0: recommendations is generally the type of person who would recommend a place is that those are the type of people who, who stay there. So, you know, if you meet like some complete party person, you know, whatever their recommendations are probably going to be party, like party hostels. But if you meet someone who's, you know, a little bit more calm, more into culture, they recommend a place and you go there and everybody else is very calm. So it's, it was, yeah. it kind of ended up being the little kind of recommendation bubbles. But I liked it because it was almost like it was curated.
1: Yeah, and I feel like people um, spent more time hanging out and talking to each other, too, in the analog days. Because now so many people are scrolling through their smartphone, looking at their social media feed from their friends that are 3,000 miles away. So they've still sort of got one leg at home and one leg where they are now. And uh, before, you were were totally in the place, you know, in the moment. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. The
0: one biggest mistake, though, that I see pretty much every traveler I, I meet do, and in and this you know DNA of technology, it's it's crazy that, that that they still make this mistake. But nobody backs up their photos, and it, I, I've met so many people now who have freaked out because their laptop broke or their camera broke or they it, the camera got stolen, and they're like, oh my god, six months or two years of my photos are gone. I'm like, have you not used, you know, Google <laughs> photos back, back it up? Like it's free, you know, or at least it's going to be, it's free until I think June and they're getting rid of the, the unlimited option, but it's, yeah, it's always boggled me. Even then, it'll me. Be,
1: even then it'll, I think it'll be 15 gigabytes on Google or something like that, but yeah. And you could buy uh, one of those portable hard drives for 50 bucks. You know, I'm, I I'm paranoid about that. So I have two backups. I have Amazon photos for my desktop and then I also have a portable hard drive. But then for my phone I back them all up to Google Photos. Cause yeah, I mean, who wants to lose like a year of memories? Crazy. It's so cheap to keep it back up. Backed up.
0: Yeah. But
1: it it's always it always comes down to this, is people move
0: too fast. They travel too fast to even look through their photos or upload photos. And for me, it's You know, I don't want to. I don't want to ever say like you know it's karma biting them, but it's if they had just taken the time to say you know what, instead of trying to check off you know an extra ten countries on your trip, you know take some time and just go to a cafe
1: and and upload your photos, and just like. not hard i mean even let's say you had a budget of 10 bucks a month then you can get a terabyte of storage on dropbox or or, you know whatever service you easy and and cheap now yeah but i mean do we do you remember what kind of camera you had when you first started traveling yeah i had um i had a this was a film camera um it wasn't a 35 millimeter like uh slr it was just like One of those point and shoots, but with a really long zoom lens. And I still travel with a camera like that today, but a digital, a bigger digital version. And now they call it a super zoom camera. Um, So it's like good quality, but it has a, a long zoom on it. So it's good for taking wildlife photos and things like that. But yeah, I had one, um, like that, that took film. And it's so funny because I remember my now wife and I would argue a lot about photos, like, don't take a picture of that. It's not worth it (laughs) because you only had 36 shots on a roll, you know? (laughs) And now we take like 20 photos of the same thing. So we make sure we get one good one, but then you were like, oh, don't take another photo of that. I already took one. (laughs) Yeah. But then, uh, one time my camera got stolen on a train in Italy. I mean, not Italy, uh, India. While I was sleeping, the guy actually reached through a window, busted the lock, stole my camera without me even waking up. And my head was like on the backpack. I don't know how he did it. He's a, he was a pro. <laughs> but anyway, the biggest bummer about that was I lost a roll of photos, you know? And so I was like, damn, I lost all those pictures. Oh, it's a shame. Do you still have any of those old photos? Like, Did you ever digitize them? um i have them but not in digital form no every once in a while i'll pull one out and scan it um but uh, it's funny all the article ones i took were slides and that's really annoying because i've got all these slides and those are much harder and more more expensive to convert but the ones i took with a regular camera um just film shots yeah we've got actually all of those the good ones in a photo in photo albums and um my wife took the time, speaking of taking time, um, when we got back from our trips and she actually put little captions under them so we know where they, they were and what we were doing. She took notes on the back of the photo like when we got them developed. So she was That's much smart. more organ, much more organized than me because after a while you forget where you were, you know? And yeah. what was that place again? Um, so we've got some really cool old photo albums that we can look through now and, and see our uh, old pictures. But yeah, I'm actually in the room right now where they all are so I should um pull some more out this time and scan them yeah I, I wish I had something like this
0: but I, I, I remember I think I just purged everything I just kept tra- you know like I was living in Thailand for so long and then I basically never moved back to the U.S. you know it's been 12 or 13 years just constantly moving abroad living out of my suitcase and I think it wasn't until maybe f- probably five or six years ago or where everything you know, became, you know, got online and I had an iPhone. I, just, I don't, I don't have any memories of those first like five, you know, five years, but that's all right. I, at least I have the, the,
1: the brain memory of it, I guess. Yeah, the image in your mind, but yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Sometimes I'll be writing an article and it's about some place I went 20 years ago. and I'm like, yeah, I wish I had a digital photo of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, um, if you could link to it for the show notes i'd love to send you something um this guy named kevin kelly who was the founder of wired magazine um he's got some books out and uh just a great brilliant guy but he wrote this article on my perceptive travel site that was talking about being a backpacker in the 1970s and so my story goes back but man his goes way back and i think it was kind of hard when i started but you know we talk about analog i mean and film cameras like he would carry like 30 rolls of film around with him, you know, and has these crazy stories and he was going places where there was not even a guidebook, you know, there was no guidance whatsoever. And it's pretty wild. Yeah. I, I can definitely imagine that. And yeah, I actually just pulled up the uh, the link now and there's, there's
0: photos. I mean, I don't know where he got these photos from. These are amazing.
1: Yeah. He, he wrote a book called vanishing Asia, which is all his photographs from those early days because a lot of it did vanish, you know, it just turned into, your usual modern city a lot of these places like Kathmandu you know I mean Kathmandu looked incredibly different in the 1970s because there were no cars (laughs) and uh, it's hard to imagine now with it's so polluted and jammed with traffic yeah I remember Kathmandu was just full of
0: dust and then hiking shops and that was
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's your impression now yeah
0: yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's. I mean, you know, part of me wishes that I I could go back in time and, and see all these places, but at the same time, I could just go to, you know, other kind of less explored countries, and I'm sure that a lot of that still exists. And, and this is why I like Eastern Europe so much. Is you know, when I go to places like in Ukraine, actually, I, I had this joke where uh, my ex girlfriend was Ukrainian, and we would watch. I would pull up a YouTube video, and we would watch it, and I would say, "Guess what year this was published." And she would always say, you know, I don't know, she's like oh, 1997 or two thousand five or you know, something from a long time ago. And I would just laugh and say, no, this just came out two days
1: ago. <laughs> this came great. out, to, you know, this came out in April. <laughs> yeah, I love uh, going to places like that that seem kind of stuck in time, you know, and you know they're not going to be that way forever. But it's uh, it's great when you experience them' still like a sense of the history.
0: Yeah. So where are some of these places that? That you feel like it's still, you know, like it's still not, you know, completely up to up to date yet, but you can still see see some of that culture and the history.
1: Well, I talked a little bit about the Balkan areas, and um, you know, because there was a civil war going on there for a while, um, I feel like you can still step back in time. And if you go to Bosnia, Montenegro, Albania, those countries, um, and even like you said, in Eastern Europe, I mean, I did some cycling through the Czech Republic and you know, some of those towns, I think they look pretty much like they did 100 years ago. And uh, I think any place in the world that hasn't gotten super developed yet. And so there's a lot of um, villages in Bulgaria and Romania that are half empty, because all the all the young people went to work somewhere else in Europe where they could make more money. So they're sort of stuck in time because of that, you know, because economically, they just haven't progressed. And um yeah, I think in Latin America, there are places like that too, like Spanish colonial towns that just are kind of off the radar. And so they're not tourist towns. So they just haven't they haven't gotten 20 chain restaurants and shopping malls and whatever. <laughs> yeah, that definitely makes sense. And actually, you kind of just mentioned a, a good travel hack is
0: if you just go to the most popular uh, capital city like you know Prague, you know, when you visit the Czech Republic, it's going to be a lot more touristy and you're going to see the the Starbucks but if you go to you know the second third or fourth tier city somewhere that somewhere else in Czech Republic where pretty much at, you know anywhere else in Czech Republic I, I don't think I can, I can even name another city there it's going to be a lot more authentic
1: yeah and that's another advantage to traveling more slowly and spending more time in a place you know if you only go to Prague and then leave well you've seen the same part of the Czech Republic that 90% of the other people have seen. But if you just spend another week and go elsewhere, then you'll get a whole different experience. And one, that's deeper with fewer touts you know, fewer people trying to sell you things. And maybe you're not looked at as a walking wallet because they, you don't see so many of you.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a hard thing because as much as I want to promote tourism through you know, this podcast, through my blog, through my books, at the same time, if a place gets over popular, then it loses its soul. You know? And the, I guess the, you know, and, and part of it is, I don't want to say, you know, over reliance on tourism or greed from the locals, but that's kind of exactly what happens. You know, that's what happened to places like Phuket where it, You know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, maybe it was like some of the other islands in in, uh, in Thailand where it was picturesque, it was beautiful, it was very authentic. But as they realized how much money they can make from tourism, they kind of slowly, you know, the mom and pop shops that cater to locals end up closing and they open restaurants or shops that cater to just tourists and it's just it's a trend that just kind of perpetuates
1: itself yeah and it could it can happen astonishingly fast too like if you look at the pp island how fast they got ruined <laughs> it's pretty scary yeah but you know uh, the other part
0: of that is i mean i don't in general i don't like too much government you know intervention but a place like you know pp where they just had thousands of tourists you know traveling through there every day and there has to be a way just to kind of limit, you know, or like just limit the amount of people who can go like to visit these places a day or charge some, you know, crazy high fee just to kind of limit people
1: from, from going there and, and just encourage people to go to one of the other, you know, hundred islands. Yeah. You gotta try to spread out the spread out the crowds to some something besides the greatest hit the greatest hit attraction. Yeah. But you know, speaking of greatest hits, uh,
0: I think you have let's see, twenty-seven country, oh no, twenty-seven chapters on uh, a better life for half the price, and sixteen um, countries on there. You know, going from Albania, Argentina, Bulgaria, Cambodia, Colombia, Ecuador, Georgia, all the way down to Peru, Philippines, and Portugal. What? Oh, I'm probably missing a page as well. Uh, But why those countries? What was kind of the criteria for them to make it on your list?
1: Yeah, I think there's 19 that I profiled in detail. And then there's a few honorable mentions thrown in at the end. Um, But they were basically places where you can live long term um, and it's a reasonable price. So you know, the visa part of it's important. I mean, there's some places that maybe a lot of people would like to go live permanently, but they make it so incredibly difficult that, you know, it's not even worth trying. But then there are other places that make it uh, quite favorable. Like if you go to India with a Canadian visa or a U.S. visa, you can stay for five or 10 years and just have to leave the year or something like that. Um, Georgia gives you a year. Albania gives you a year on a tourist visa um, if you're American, uh, Mexico gives you six months. So there's a lot of places like that, where, um, they may not be the super cheapest places in the world, but they, they're a place where you can live for half what you're spending now in a developed country. And you can find some path to residency or stay there for more than three months, which is what the case is in a lot of Europe. You can only stay for three months where you have to leave. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of the criteria. Where can you cut your expenses in half and where do you have some path to residency possible? Or you can stay for six, 12 months just as a tourist. Yeah, I definitely like that. And
0: I think this is a, a book that's going to help a lot of people decide where they can travel to slowly, maybe put down roots. Uh, I'm a big believer in you know the two or three country uh, per year policy where you know instead of moving around and bouncing around every couple of weeks or every month, you know, pick one or two countries and say, all right, you know, for the summer, I'm gonna, you know, base myself somewhere in Europe for six months and then winter, maybe I'll go somewhere to Asia. For me, it's perfect mix. It doesn't involve too much flying, uh, but you can still see a lot and you could still, you know, really enjoy life.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you can feel like you really experience the place to its fullest instead of just passing through in a blink of an eye.
0: Yeah, I love it. So, if people want to check out your books, they're available on Amazon. Uh, A Better Life for Half the Price, second edition, uh, just came out pretty recently. And I've read it, it's up to date and has lots of good information in there. And even for someone like me who is is you know, basically an expert in travel it's, it's been 12 years of a, a podcast about it. I learned a lot from it and uh, I was able to confirm you know what was written there saying yep yeah, this is true this isn't written by some you know Instagram model who you know went for two weeks and said All right, I'm gonna write a book about it
1: So Tim yeah, well, definitely you. not the Instagram model <laughs> but definitely yeah. knowledgeable. Well, thanks. Yeah, maybe um, maybe um in future years, I'll uh, follow in your footsteps and make it to Poland and Ukraine too, and check those out. But um yeah, and that one's out in an audio book uh, as we speak. Also, if somebody likes to listen more than they like to read, I do that as well on Audible. Oh, great. And was that read by you or did you have a... No, a I you? hired a professional for that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I got a voice actor, because first of all, it's a lot of work to read 150,000 yeah. words, but I would rather get somebody that does this professionally. I like it. And uh, the other
0: book that I uh, I read, I really really enjoyed. If for nothing else than the tidbits about the one dollar, uh, what what a dollar can get in these countries, the world's cheapest destinations. I I really love that. It actually, you just got me thinking about what can I get for a dollar here in Sri Lanka. And yeah, give us some. What can you get? Yeah. There? So it's funny because I never really did the the calculation. I didn't even know how much, what a dollar was. And so I just Googled it and it's 192 rupees. So about 200 rupees. And just today I went and I bought a pineapple uh, and some bananas and it was 160 rupees. So a little bit less than a dollar for you know, All right. three pounds of fruit. Uh, <laughs> That's great. I Yesterday I bought three coconuts, three fresh coconuts uh, for me and my two friends, we just got back from from surfing. And, you know, this lady on the side of the road cracks them open, you drink the coconut, it's delicious. Uh, and then they crack it in half and you have the meat. So you have a full meal for basically, you know, a full snack for three people for a dollar, which is
1: incredible. And, and not to mention imagine, the food. I imagine you don't need a haircut very often, but uh, how much is that? It's $3 here. Uh,
0: and I And I don't even know if that's the cheapest one it just it's just the place that i happen to go and it comes with a 10 minute head massage head and back massage afterwards all right so yeah so it's always fun i mean you know i
1: think like what can a dollar get you in the u.s now or in florida yeah not much a candy bar um if you go to the dollar store it can get you a fair bit uh the dollar tree where everything's a dollar (laughs) but uh Yeah. In Mexico, it's a very long list. So when I'm living there, I can uh, get a lot done for a buck. Yeah. You know, an an amazing food. I do love Mexico.
0: I think if I needed to be in the U.S. time zone, I would absolutely pick pick Mexico. You know, if nothing, nothing else than the food and the diversity and the people, amazing the cultures. I don't know why. just, yeah. I'm I'm just kind of been waiting for Mexico. You know, it's just to me, it's like the backup plan for me because I I just love Asia and, and Europe so much, but I do miss the food.
1: Yeah. And um, these days, with the dollar and peso where they are, you can actually find dollar beers at a bar these days. So um, that's a great thing, too. Yeah. I mean, the idea of being able to get
0: a beer, you know, a ice cold cerveza, like, and Mexican beer is amazing. And a couple, you know, eat, like sometimes you can even get a couple tacos. But if I, even if I just get one taco and a beer for $2, I'd be ecstatic. All right. Well, Tim, you got me hungry now, so (laughs) I've been thirsty, but it's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Johnny. It was great talking with you and uh, good luck in your future, whatever's after Sri Lanka.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. We we don't know what that's going to be yet uh, as the world turns, but we'll see. Uh, If people want to get more information, check out your blogs, where do you kind of hang out online and what's your website?
1: So the cheapest destinations blog is the best one because that's me writing by myself. Um, And there's a lot of advice on there about bargain travel and living abroad. Um, Everything else you can find at timleffel.com. That site links out to article websites and books. Okay, awesome.
0: All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Thanks, Tim. And see all of you guys, hopefully, somewhere in the world. Bye, guys.